Good morning, everybody. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, so I welcome you to Parkview today. And if you're new here, I would love to uh, greet you. I'll be in the foyer afterwards. It'd be great to meet you. And yeah, it's good. Thanks for coming. It's cold rain and borderline sleet, and you're still here. Good job. And if you're live streaming, we're not dissing you. It's just great to have you with us, too. So, But these guys made it. Awesome. Good job. So yeah, we are studying the book of Ephesians this semester. So you have a Bible. You can turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14. And uh, before I do that, I, I try to pass on these kind of things to you guys when I hear them. But it's always interesting when you get the perspective of your church from some people from the outside, people that have kind of taken a look. And there's some things you guys are doing that are just not normal. And if you've been a part of Parkview, that's kind of how you've been rolling for a lot of years. If you're new to Parkview and you're learning about what's going on, just very grateful, like as a pastor, to get to be a pastor here and to get to be with people that are willing to do some of the things that you guys are taking a run after. So things like having three campuses uh, that are preaching from the same passage and, and caring for people in three parts of our county, trying to get the gospel out more and more. Things like the way you guys have taken the challenge of, of starting a school that has about 90 students in it now, many of them uh, underserved in, in many ways. Uh, their tuition is about 90% picked up by you guys, and we're seeing test scores go up and uh, just lives changing there. So very grateful. Not a lot of churches doing what you've done there. Uh, about 35 global workers scattered all around the world, some in some of the most difficult areas for the gospel. And you guys have so faithfully supported that kind of work for many years. Um, a commitment to, we're, what, a mile from a major university. Why don't we do something there? Why don't we send? And since 2000 or so, just you guys have just generously supported and sent staff to reach students on that campus. And over the years, just who knows how many lives have been changed uh, through that. So very grateful. A church that's committed to raising up children to follow Jesus reaching out to students in our area last Sunday to Super Bowl party, 100 plus whatever junior high, high school kids all over the building. Uh, maybe watching the Super Bowl, mostly just hanging out, but at halftime got to hear from two of their friends, two of their peers about what Jesus means to them. Uh, you guys are just running after a lot and so very grateful to be a part of this and to get to be a pastor here. And um, it's uh, for that reason that I think today's passage is incredibly relevant for us as a church, a super reminder to us. And then I can just say to whatever it is that drew you to come to church today when it was cold rain and you could have easily slept in or whatever, uh, I wonder what that is. And there's all kinds of maybe reasons why you love Jesus, many of you, and you love this commitment of worshiping him together with other believers on Sunday. It's a great chance for you to be fired up or refocused in your faith. It could be that even at other levels, you're here because there's some hurt, there's uh, some comfort that you find in being the presence of God and praying on a Sunday morning. Maybe there's some question about all of this, like, is this true? Can I believe this? Can I base my life on it? Just all kinds of reasons that you're here. And again, the passage we get to study together this morning is, is an amazing one. One of my favorite all time in the Bible. In fact, <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks, let's just read this slowly and carefully today and then just kind of step aside and just be in awe. Like, what am I doing here? Like talking about this and you'll see what I mean in a couple minutes. But I think there's two profound things that will hit you, maybe one or two that have hit me as I've gone through this passage. Number one, 
you're going to read an amazing prayer. Uh, Paul is praying for some people that he really loves. And nothing personal, but I think every so often, our prayer lives could use like a splash of cold water in our face. Like I think sometimes our prayers can kind of drift and become kind of flat and maybe become less and less frequent. I think there's an urgency, there's a depth, there's a power to this prayer we're going to read this morning that in a real, please hear me, God loves any time any of his kids talk to him. I'm not shaming, right? But, but I wonder if sometimes God hears our prayers and if he's not stifling a yawn, you know, or like, I'm God. Like, I can do so much more than you're asking. Like, do you understand? And so in a healthy way, maybe this passage this morning will pull us up to a new way, a fresh way. Maybe there was a day you used to pray like this. Um, and not just praying for yourself, but watching someone else pray for people that he loves. Maybe it can just rebolster how you pray for your kids or your friends or your spouse or your parents. All right? So that's one thing. Another one that I think Paul's trying to do here is he's just trying to remind some people that he really loves. Like, do you know what's available to you in Christ? Do you? Like, I don't want you to just know it, but like, are you living this stuff out? And, and Paul's going to be pleading for this because it's not something he can do for them. He can't just like go and give them all a pill so that they will all start living by the riches that Christ has given them. His best resort is to pray for them. And so I think another thing that has happened to me, most likely to you, will be a new awareness of what we've been given in Christ and what that looks like, like how we could be living in a whole different way. Again, not to shame or to scold, but to call us up, all right? So I've built this passage up enough. Why don't we stand and let's read it together and then let's have God just teach us about what this is all about, okay? So we're gonna read Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14. I'll read it and you guys can follow along. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, help us. Help us not just in our heads understand these rich words together, but God, would you, by your power, open up our hearts so that we truly embrace, truly comprehend what is incomprehensible, that we would understand and live by these profound riches that you have given us in Christ. Help us. We need your help. So thank you that we get to do this together, and thank you that you're here to help us understand and apply your word. In your great name we pray, amen. All right, you guys, you can grab a seat. Let's jump in. All right, so kind of sketched out an outline of this passage. We're going to look at the reason for the prayer. We're going to look at the requests 
for the prayer. And then we're going to look at the results of the prayer. Verse 14 and 15 again, Paul said, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. So when you see a cue like that, when you're studying the Bible, for this reason, that's a cue for you to stop and go, what reason? Like, what's he talking about? And to look back in the text. And so if you have your Bible open and you can see all of chapter 3, there might be a tendency to look just in the verse ahead where he said in verse 13, don't lose heart. And you could see a connection there. Yeah, this kind of prayer would be awesome so we don't lose heart. We'll remember all the things that he talked about. But I think he's actually pulling us back even further. Because if you were with us last week, look at the start of chapter 3. Look at verse 1, where he starts with that same phrase, for this reason. And then he introduced himself as a prisoner. And then, like if you were here last week, I felt like he took a touch of a tangent for us to let us understand, okay, yeah, I'm in prison. Let me explain why I'm in prison. Let me explain to you, like, why I'm doing okay in prison and why I don't want you to lose heart. And so, but I think in chapter 3, verse 1, he was starting to land the plane on chapters 1 to 3. And so what we're studying today is that plane landing. So when he started in verse 1 to say, for this reason, I think you just look up into the end of chapter 2. And what was he talking about? For what reason? And so, man, just a quick reminder. Like in chapter 1, he's just been reminding us of all the riches and blessings we have in Christ. In chapter 2, it was specifically about the gospel. That we were dead before God, but God was rich in mercy and he made us alive together in Christ, right? So we are restored. We can be restored in our relationship with God through Jesus. Then you go through the rest of chapter 2, and this whole reconciliation of bringing people together isn't just us and God, but now it's us with each other, so that there are no boundaries, there's no racial distinction, there's no age distinction, there's no uh, economic distinction in the followers of Christ. We are all united in Christ, so that at the end of chapter 2, he said, so that we can be as a people, a place where God dwells, like God lives among his people that are brought together in Christ, that that, that would be the uh, evidence that the gospel is really taking root in us, that you can look around and there's a whole group of people that are united in Christ, different in background, very diverse, but what's uniting them is Christ. And God wants to live in the midst of those people. So now I think this prayer is Paul saying, okay, all those rich truths I want to see happen. And I'm going to be on my knees asking God to do this, all right? And so, and so God, would you truly do what you've just promised these people in chapters one and two? So, and if I could say, if there's another reason for this prayer is that there's a massive need here. This is not something Paul can do on his own. Like he can't just go and give everybody a pill or, hey, let's just make this happen. Uh, he knows this is way over his head. And so when you look at a, a prayer life like a person like Paul, Remember, he's in prison. He's suffering. Like he could have been focused on himself, but instead he's praying these massive God-sized prayers for people that he loves, right? And so, and so I think God recorded these words so we can see and catch a glimpse of what a powerful prayer life looks like. And I'm going to say the two ingredients, like a powerful prayer life comes at the intersection of two things that we see uh, that Paul knew and that Paul clung to. One is that God is astonishing. Like God is huge in his power and his wisdom. God is infinite. And so, uh, but equally along with those maybe areas of strength and greatness, 
God is also good. He's merciful. He allows people like us to come into his presence and be reconciled with him. And so, and so Paul's just astonished with the greatness and goodness of God. And so uh, it reminds me of like the description of Jesus is that he often prayed. He often went even to quiet places so that he could be with his father. Like when you know God is awesome and his power and his goodness, like you don't have to plan to pray. Like you don't have to schedule to pray, although that can help you and you can be sure you're getting time to pray, but like you'd be praying all the time. Like, and so a lot of times our prayer life, uh, a barometer of our prayer life goes, the high points are going to be when we really see who God is, when we're aware of the awesomeness of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. So that's one uh, key factor. But the greatness of God then also intersects with our utter need. Like, I don't have this. Like, it's those moments where you know, I can't do this. I can't be a good husband. I can't be a good dad. I can't make it through this semester. I can't follow Jesus. Like, I am broken. I am weak. And again, if there's another chart or barometer of your prayer life, it's going to be those times of crisis or where you know you are over your head that, again, you don't have to schedule prayer or like, I better make sure I spend five minutes just crying out to God in desperation. You just do it because you know you are over your head. And the, the problem is it's not just in those moments of crisis that that is true, that you don't got this, <laughs> that you need God. That's true for us every day of our lives, every second, every breath we take. We desperately need God. And so a powerful prayer life is going to come at that intersection of us knowing how great and good God is. And we are the exact opposite. Like we just need help and we are broken people. And so we see Paul in this moment and, and his great need here is that people he loves, he is concerned, don't really understand what God has given them. And so maybe that's kind of like our role as friend or parent or spouse. Like somebody we dearly love is not quite getting it. And, you know, we can do the best we can, maybe scold or remind or henpeck or whatever. Those usually don't work, right? And so, and so it's that moment of like, God, I can't do this. I need you. So um, one of my favorite books on prayer, and sometimes we've got extra copies out there. If we don't, we need to restock. But it's that book called The Praying Life. It's written by Paul Miller. And one of the beautiful things in that book is like, sometimes you might think the person with the greatest prayer life must be that, a person whose life is just all together and they've, they've got it perfect and they got, and he just kind of opens maybe a secret to us and is like, no, actually the person who's gonna pray the most consistently and passionately is the one who is fully aware of his brokenness. It's not necessarily strong people who pray, it's weak people who pray who desperately know they need God and they need the presence of God. And so um, things like I, you know, it's as much, a, if you've never read the book, it's as much a parenting book as it is a prayer book. Because he tells so many stories of his interaction with a couple of his kids that were just very challenging at times in his life. And he says things like, I do my best parenting when I'm on my knees. Like, or I, and, and we could fill in that blank too. I'm, a, I'm really the best friend I can be to, to my friends when I'm on my knees. Or I really think the best gift that a pastor can give to his church is his own prayer life. And so it's that kind of heart here that's driving Paul to this moment. That's why he's on his knees and praying such a lofty prayer, right? So, so those are the reasons for the prayer. Now let's, let's break down these requests 
for the prayer, okay, of, of the prayer. And there's four specific things that Paul asked for, and it's kind of an interesting, I was looking for an illustration of like, each of these four kind of build on each other and climax with that statement that we would be filled with the fullness of God. How's that for a goal? I want to be filled with the fullness of God, you know, so, so but, but there's kind of a, kind of a stair step where each piece fits in the other. And let's, let's look at these four things and just kind of break them down a step at a time. What did Paul pray for? What were his requests for these people? So the first one, verse 16, is where he says, according to the riches of his glory, strengthened with power through the spirit in your inner being. So his first request here is for power. That the, that the Ephesians, and then let's bring us into this. This is from the heart of God. That there, there's a desire there that God would give us power. And so remembering a couple things here. Well, who's the one giving us this power? It's, it's the God of glory. And from his riches of power, he's going to give us power. He's got a vast supply. My favorite place to go and even this is just scratching the surface, is to go to God's creation, the God who made, you know, 100 billion galaxies, and there's 100 billion stars in each galaxy, and our sun is an average star, core temperature of 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. So you look at that and say, that is the God from whose wealth of power he is giving power uh, to us. And so he, he shares that with us, and the way he does that is through his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is inside of anyone in this room who believes in Jesus Christ, is a follower of Jesus. The moment you put your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. And the Holy Spirit is fully God. And Paul told us in Romans 8:11 that the same Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead has that kind of power, now lives inside of our mortal bodies. He is there to give us strength. And so uh, that's the, the source, the provider is the God who's rich in glory, is now pouring his power into his people through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And the target of this power is our inner being, our inner being. So you, you read through the Bible, and sometimes the human focus, our focus, tends to be on the outside, the externals. Like, what do we look like? And so we spend so much attention as a people, like, on things like cosmetics or clothes or our appearance, um, it's why we might be tempted to just constantly work on what do people think about us? What's my online presence like? Like, what do I look like? How are people observing from the outside? And, and God made us, and there's many awesome things about us on the outside. But if you were to ask God, where's your biggest concern for each of us? It's going to be on the inside, like in our inner being, in our hearts. That's where God is locking in and looking. And so man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart right? So it was about eight or nine years ago that I had rotator cuff surgery. It was a, after a, a combination of some baseball stuff, a wreck on a bike, and all kinds of things that a guy I was coaching with at that time took a look, and there was some discoloring, and he goes, we should probably take a look at that. And so there was an MRI, maybe an x-ray, and stuff like that. And as he's going through it with me, he was showing, yeah, these are the three places where it's completely torn. Like, we got we to gotta get in there and do, do some surgery. But then he was also pointing out and this is just like the shoulder area. Look at this. Like, look at this here. Look at this abrasion. Look at this. Like, I was like, wow, it's a wreck. He goes, well, he's about my age. He's like, you know, that's kind of like what we, we look like. When we get to be our age and the stuff we've been doing with our bodies over the years, football and biking and baseball and basketball, like all this stuff, like 
There's, that's pretty much us. We kind of get nicked up and there's not going to be a beautiful scan any part in our bodies right now. That's the way it goes, you know, and so, so we're kind of lamenting some of that. But what's really interesting is that um, although God would be concerned about those kind of things, um, there's no way for us to scan our inner beings. Like imagine if you could do that, if you could have a scan of our hearts or the real you, the heart, the, the inner being, and just the things there that we've taken wounds as well over the years. And so other things on our bodies from bike things and sport things and whatever we've done, injuries. But if you look into the inner being, there's things there you can't see but have hurt deeply. Like the times you've been betrayed or the times where you were slandered or lied against or times where you were misunderstood or times where you served and no one thanked you or where you were abused or where you were, you know, those things hit inside in some very key places in our existence. And you can't just take a scan of those and you can't just, you know, fix those. You can't go get surgery to fix some of that. Those are real and those are there. And so what I love about what Paul's praying here is that, God, would you give these people in their inner being, would you give them strength so that they don't take those wounds over years and turn them into bitterness or turn them into doubt? You know, I wonder if there's a reason why some of us flatline in our prayers that because there's been so many of those, those wounds building up and you've been praying and saying there's no change and things aren't happening and God, where are you? And Paul's saying, you know what? I'm just praying in their inner being that there would be a power from the Holy Spirit to just stay in there, to stay strong, to keep trusting God, to keep following him. And uh, because then there's a link to the very next request. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God, would you give them the power in their inner being so that they would continue to reach out to Jesus? They would continue to trust him. They would endure. They would continue to obey him. They would continue to trust him. They would continue to cry out to him. Because as we do that, trust me, Jesus loves to take residence in our lives. In fact, the word there is an interesting one. The, the word dwell, the Greek word, literally is like a verb form of like staying at home, living at home. And then there was a prefix put on it to like intensify it. Like Jesus really wants to be home in our lives. Like he really wants to be present and comfortable and, and to just live with us. It reminds me in John 15 where he said he invites us to abide in him, like a vine and a branch relationship. Like we're the branches and if we abide in the vine, we'll, we'll bear fruit. Like he's calling us to a very intimate relationship with him where he is at home in our lives, where we can see him and know that he's there and experience his peace, experience his direction, uh, hear from him what we're supposed to do so we can obey him and continue to walk closely with him. Paul's saying, God, give them the power in their inner being so they would keep trusting in Jesus and then really experience the presence of Christ with them, right? And then the next one is, so that being rooted and grounded in love, they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. This is, this is our biggest chunk right here, but, but he really wants us, and these two first words in this phrase are, are crucial, the whole concept of being rooted and grounded. 
Those are one from uh, agricultural world, one from building world, right? So, so um, and if you've ever grown a garden or a crop, like you don't always see this part of the plant, but the roots are especially crucial in how that crop or how that garden is going to do. Are the roots doing well? Are the roots going down? Are the roots getting water? Are the roots getting nutrients? Like that success of the crop is going to be dependent on the success of the roots. And same thing with a building. If you're built anything, like and you're building it up, you got to make sure that foundation is strong. And so, so what we're being told here is like the, the essential parts of our lives is like where is our love. Like, where are we grounding our roots into, into what love are we grounding it? We were designed and wired to put our roots deep into the love of God. He made us to know him and trust him so that he could bless us. So our hearts are just naturally sending out roots for somewhere stable. Our hearts are looking for a firm foundation where we can plant our lives and then grow up and be confident and secure and at peace. So, but the problem is, as sinners, we have we have rebelled against God. We have rejected God. And so it's kind of like we've pulled our roots out of the love of God. And now we're just kind of looking where we can put our roots. We, you know, one, one famous Christian over the years called it, we're a people of disordered loves. Like we constantly, instead of like relying on the love of God and loving God supremely, we'll, we'll look for other loves to try to give us what only God can give. And that leads to a very insecure um, place in our lives. And so we may be looking, for example, for marriage to meet that need. Man, if I just, man, if I just had a beautiful marriage and a perfect spouse, like, then those needs for love will just be completely matter. Wow, this isn't working. What if we add some kids to this mix? Like, what if there's that perfect dynamic of I love my kids and they love me back and it's always perfect and then, whoa, I might not be doing it. Maybe it's my career. Maybe it's like I just get approval from everybody for what I do and I study hard and I get good grades and everybody acknowledges how good I am. And so, so there's so many places and those are good things, but they're not ultimate things. They're not <laughs> as secure as the love of God. They are not secure foundations in our lives. And so the ways we can tell that that's happening, that we are trying to put our confidence in our life in things that can't hold us up, is that's when we'll have worry, that's when we'll have fear, we'll start being anxious because our roots and our foundation are in things that just can't sustain us. We're wired to be sustained by the love of God. So Paul's prayer is here, is like, God, would you show them once again your love? Would they be rooted and grounded in your love? May they have the strength to understand. And then he goes into two descriptions here of what God's love is like, like the whole breadth, length, height, depth. Let's just break those down uh, a little bit. God, would you help them understand how broad your life is? Like it can cover, your love is, it can cover every area of their lives and, and really not just them, but anyone who calls on the name of Christ. You look at the glimpses of what heaven is going to be like and you see multitudes and myriads of people there. God's love is so broad that he can offer it to the whole world so that anyone who responds to him can receive his love. His love is broad. His love is, is long. Like you were loved before the foundations of the world. You were chosen. You were adopted. So way back in eternity past, God loved you. And then all the way into eternity future, God is going to love you. Like his love will never, there's no love as long as God's love is uh, for you. The height of God's love, the heavens, as high as the heavens are above the earth, is how great his love is uh, for us. And the depth of his love, I think is 
as amazing as those three other dimensions are, it's this depth of love that I think especially blows us away. That he knows us fully. He knows everything about us, even the darkest, the worst, the stuff we just hide from, the stuff we're ashamed of. He loves us in spite of that. Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Like while we were sinners, at our worst. Remember Ephesians 2, we were dead in our sins, but God was rich in mercy for us, had great love for us, and then he made us alive together in Christ. At our worst, rebels against him, ignoring him, rejecting him, he still loved us. That's a depth of love that we do not find anywhere else on this planet. And so, and so that is the kind of love that Paul is saying, God, would you give them the ability to understand a love that is incomprehensible. The word comprehend, literally, uh, you could also say apprehend. Would they, God, would you help them grasp that love? Like, not just be amazed by it, but could they actually grasp it and own it and take it and believe it? Could it become the foundation for their roots and for their life that, that, that God intends it to be? And so, guys, this is super important right here because I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions of what church is about, of what Jesus is about, about what Christianity is about, okay? Because this will just lead you to more insecurity. Uh, God loved us when we had nothing to offer him. God loved us when we were sinners, right? So we did nothing <laughs> except then God, rich in mercy, offered Jesus to us, offered to forgive us uh, through Christ. That's grace. It's a gift of God. And then we respond to that and then we experience all these gifts that God gives us, okay? And then it's from that platform that then you start serving God. You start following God. We get that so mixed up, and so many well-meaning religious people mix that up. They think, okay, I've got to still get a hand in earning God's love. And so I got to be as good as I can. I got to stop swearing. I got to start going to church more. I got to start, and then maybe God will love me. Guys, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to judge you or critique you, but that's wrong. Like that's not this love of God that passes knowledge. That kind of makes sense to us. If I earn love, then God will give me love. And so what makes God's love so incomprehensible and so beyond us is that you don't earn it. He just gives it to you right? He loved us while we were sinners. That's the infathomable part about the love of Jesus Christ. And so once you got to trust that and say, okay, I didn't earn this. Jesus, I, I accept what you've done for me. I accept your love. Forgive me. I'm now your son or daughter. It's then he empowers you and says, okay, now let's go. Like, let's start living out of the riches that I have given you. I would, I would love to. On your cards this morning, there's a place where you can just say, be sure. I would love to talk with you about that just so you can know for sure. Wait, am I getting this right? Like, what's my part in this whole following Jesus thing? And what was his part again? If, if I couldn't do it, one of our leaders here, I hope would just have a great conversation with you. Make sure you truly understand uh, the gospel. And just kind of, a, uh, kind of a heads up of what's coming. Chapters four to six of Ephesians kind of turn a corner where now you're going to hear things like uh, walk in unity with each other or uh, forgive one another as you have been forgiven. 
Uh, there's going to be some, some charges toward husbands and wives and parents and children and kind of some directives from God. We haven't seen many of those in chapters 1 to 3. All we've seen so far is like, here's what God has done for you. Here's who you are in Christ. Like, look at these benefits. And now, chapters 4 to 6 are going to be, now this is how you live as people empowered by Christ. But I think in our religious mindset, or I got to earn this from God, we jump into verses like we'll see in chapters four and six and go, okay, I got to start forgiving people. Okay, I've got to start, like we're earning God's favor, trying to tip the scales back toward I'm doing more good than bad. And that you're on a wrong track there. That doesn't lead you to the peace that Paul is talking about here. That when we understand that we have been fully accepted and loved, by love we have no, it's wider, higher, deeper, longer than anything we'll even fathom. Like that's the place uh, that God wants us to be with him, secure in his love, our roots deep into uh, the confidence that he loves me. And now from that, let's go. Like let's serve him. Let's do this life, all right? So, so power, uh, intimacy with Christ, uh, just comprehending his love, and the last one, again, the final request is that we be filled with the fullness of God. Again, put that on your goal today. Be full of God, right? So, so but uh, this, is, this is the end game. God wants to so much pour his life into you that you just stand out. There's something very different about you. Do not look at this as a one-time prayer and just like, okay, God, bring it. You know, like this is, this is a, uh, as long as you have breath on this planet, you continue to walk in these things to read your word, to learn about God, to pray to him, to ask for this help and to continue to grow. And God moves in your life and more and more you see yourself filled with the fullness of God, uh, peace in hard situations, generosity, even when uh, you are making great sacrifices for others, a joy in all circumstances, serving people, putting other people first. Like those are things that aren't normal, but the people start seeing those in your life and they say, where are you getting that? And say, this is what God is doing in my life through Jesus and through the gospel. So last week I told you a few stories of what Paul was like when he was in prison after being beaten. He's still rejoicing and he's talking to uh, different prison guards chained to him about the gospel. You look at that and go, man, how can, how can anybody do that? Paul would say, that's the fullness of God coming into my life. Or last week I told you the story about two global workers in the Philippines who were taken captive for 13 months. And initially they were angry, hated their captors. And then they said, you know what? God sent us here for a reason. Let's love them. And, and in that process, they lead four of them uh, to Christ, right? And you look at that and you go, how can somebody do that? That's what Paul's saying. That's the fullness of God. You know, um, I know if you've been following Jesus for a while, there are areas in your life where people are looking at and see. And I, to our shame sometimes, we just kind of put those in the category of, well, he's just a really great guy. You know, he's just, yeah, he's really, he's just learned a lot over the years. I wonder if we shouldn't start connecting some lines. Like, no, those are evidences of the fullness of God. We're in a season here with our staff where I'm doing some um, evaluations. And this hit me. I did this on Friday. Um, you start those with like just, hey, man, here's some things I've seen just going so well. And um, a couple of these people I've known for a long time. It's an honor to get to work with people. And just, I mean, even since junior high, high school days, watching their faith start, 
And so with one of them, I found myself just saying, you know what, and so many people are seeing this, but you are handling some incredibly stressful work situations, and you just, you, you portray a calm around this office. You do your work with excellence. It's always done well, but it's never done frantically or in panic. Uh, you just, man, you're steady. And so sometimes we'll go, well, yeah, it's because we look at an Enneagram. Oh, it's because they're this or that, or it's kind of their personality. It's like, no, it just kind of hit me yesterday going through this. No, those are evidences of the fullness of God showing up in this woman's life. Like, no, those are roots that are deep and have been walking with Jesus. And look, with, look at the fruit that that's showing. Or same with one of the guys on the team, just like, uh, scored himself super low. Don't you hate those self-evaluations? Like, if you put yourself too high, they're like, what do you think you are, Jesus? Or yeah, you put, your, put yourself too low, they go, oh, you're doing a horrible job. And it's like, how do you do that, right? And so there was an area where this guy was just scoring super low, and it's just like, man, can I just catch some of these and say, no, I don't agree. Like, there's so much strength here and there. And one of them was receiving criticism. And I said, you're just a model to that for me. And even had a story, like there was a person over in their kind of work area, and it's like, oh no, how did that go? Like somebody that maybe can be a little critical with this guy, but I heard him laughing, and afterwards I said, man, I just blew me away the way you were just handling that input. And um, again, I probably just would have, in the, I need to circle back with them tomorrow. It's like, I say, yeah, you're just a, you're easygoing, you know, peaceful guy around here. It's like, no. Like, I think that's evidence of the fullness of God that that is showing up in this man's life as he continues to follow God. And so, man, as daunting as that sounds, filled with the fullness of God, I'll bet you there's some things that people around you are seeing. I wonder if we just need to do a little better at that. Like when we really do see people doing things around you, it's like not normal to be that sacrificial, to be that calm, to be that joyful, that we affirm each other. Like, well, that's, that's the fullness of God showing up in you. Don't get too big-headed because there's other things that know may want to do that. But just, you know, affirm the things that we see going super well. And that's what, that's what Paul is just praying for on his knees, that God would do this kind of work in his people. And the result, we'll just hit this quick. Two things in the result. Verse 20. Because if you could just take this verse, put it over your prayer life this week. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, well, I just think that's a flat-on invitation from God. Pray big. Like, I'm a big God. I love you. I can take it. Like, what do you want to see? What do you want to see me do, you know, through you? How do you want to see me get glory in that situation? What would you love to see in the people's lives that you care so much about? Ask big, and I'll do more. I can do more, far more than you could even ask or think. Like, pray big. And then, the second one here is that I want to point out is that as these kind of things start happening, I guess the fullness of God begins to appear in our lives and people look at you and go, man, that is not normal. Like God gets glory from that, right? Because you say, I know that's not me. Like that's, God is doing that in me. God gets the glory for that. But what's unique here in verse 21 is when it says to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. This, those two verses are called a doxology, where God is being given glory for something he's doing. And usually it's glory through Christ. There's a unique insert there where it says, glory in the church. It's the only time in one of Paul's doxologies that the church is inserted in there. And guys, that just gives, um, 
It's added value to what we're doing. Remember the stuff I said at the beginning of my sermon that God has been doing through you, through this church. Like God gets, God gets glory certainly through us when our lives change and it's us individually doing this. But when something starts happening corporately with a whole bunch of people, different backgrounds and there's diversity and they're all pulling toward the same thing and they're being used by God together, God gets glory through that. This isn't just a, a religious place where we come and do our thing week after week. This is a place where God longs to bring glory to himself in our city and throughout this region, throughout the world, as we just come together, united, humble, uh, praying big prayers like this, that God would get glory to himself, certainly through us individually, but even more so through us as a church corporately. That's, that's an awesome opportunity we have. So let's land the plane this morning and do this. I don't want to just talk about prayer and not give you a chance to pray. What I'd like you to do is take verse 20 and give you, I'm just going to be quiet and give you a couple minutes to do exactly what God has invited us to do. Uh, the one who is able to do far more abundantly, more than we ask or think. Like, what if you just prayed right now? And what comes to mind in that category for you? Maybe it's for someone else. Maybe it's for something you're battling. But, but could you pray a big prayer to God right now? Just, just lift it up to him. Do what he's asking you to do, inviting you to do.